and welcome to Hope for the Family, a podcast from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in Dallas, Texas, and known by many as Maggie's. In this series, recovered family members share how they've been able to find peace and freedom as the loved ones of alcoholics and addicts through interviews and sharing their stories. For more information about our family support group, including weekly meetings, please visit magdalenhouse.org forward slash family. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for listening. Hello, podcast listeners. My name is Stephanie Crawford, and I'm the host of this podcast, Recover Out Loud. And today on Recover Out Loud, we are going to be recording our series, Hope for the Family. And so if any time in this episode you feel inspired or um, you feel like it may help someone, please stop and share it and upload it to your Instagram stories. Uh, Let us know what your takeaways were. Please leave a review. Um, Your reviews matter. Uh, What that does is it puts something into our algorithm world that allows this podcast to be more accessible to where people can find it. And then they can hear, experience strength and hope and and hopefully learn that they're not alone and, and hear some, some solutions. So today we're going to have on my friend Faye, who I just think that you guys will love and adore. She spoke at our breakfast club recently, which if you don't know what breakfast club is, on the second Sunday of every month we have breakfast and an alcoholic speaker and then a recovered family member or a loved one speaker and so we get to hear things from both perspectives, and it's just a great way for the community to come together and learn about our family support group and Maggie's Women's Group and all all of the fun things and supportive um, avenues that we have here to offer at the Magdalene House for alcoholic women and their families. So about Faye, uh, she has experience as an alcoholic and as a family member, so I love talking to people with experience on both sides um so who knows what we'll get into today we'll be able to talk about so much and hopefully everybody will love Faye as much as I do um so Faye thank you so much for coming on today thank you uh do you mind just giving us some background information about yourself and kind of what led you to a point to have to seek help as a family member. Okay. Yeah. Kind of like start from the beginning. Yeah. For okay. sure. Whatever you want. So what like brought me to the point to needing to seek help for growing up around alcoholism, for being around addiction, started when I was really young. Like I, I first heard about alcoholism from my school counselor when I was – in fifth grade, I had no idea what was going on in my family. Um, I just didn't know. Like, I just, mm-hmm. you're a kid. You don't know. But I had the school counselor. I moved all the time in the middle of the night, moved 30 times by the time I graduated high school. Mm-hmm. And so I was just moving a lot. There were a lot of fights in my house. Um, it was, like, scary fights where the police are called, that kind of stuff, and that we were just that house. And moving a lot, moving in the middle of the night. We slept outside before when we moved, you know, last minute. We just kind of would get grab what we could sometimes, go back and forth between living with this guy and then this guy and then with grandma. So it was just you and your mom? Most of the time it was okay. just me and my mom, yeah. Mm-hmm. And basically we moved to this one school, and I was 10, and 
the school counselor took an interest in me and I mean probably just because I was a new kid at first and she for some reason saw what was going on and I didn't I didn't know of course and she said I think that your mom might be an alcoholic and I like just I can't explain how or why that woke something in me up Mm -hmm. but it did it was like because not only did she say that but she was like she said her dad was an alcoholic oh wow Mm -hmm. and I was like you're like a good person who is a grown-up who is helping people you're helping me like you're everybody in the school loves you but your dad is something that my mom is and it and she said when you grow up you I want you to think about what do you want your life to be like do you want it to be with this fighting and where it's scary where you move all of the time or do you want it she started kind of basically visualizing for me like what my life could be like when I grew up and all I could really imagine was that I wanted to be her like I just she gave me a different vision and I could only see the vision of her of like whatever you do is the best thing I've ever heard of you you set me like you woke something up in me you made me like alive more than I had been because I was dead inside and and then I was more later too but I mean it was just one of those in the ebbs and flows of life one of the huge impacts for me and after that I remember when I like I moved again moved back again moved again and I would just be like devastated to leave her. I got super attached. And then I will say though, fast forward today, we're still in touch. Like, really? Yes. Like, she ended up writing me letters. I should qualify. She ended up writing me back letters <laughs> through the inner school mail. I would be like, dear best school counselor ever (laughs) I like here's what happened this week and I because she told me when when we had to part ways when it was time for me to leave elementary school she was like you're gonna need to attach to strong adults find adults that you want to be like and attach to them and I can't explain it was like my lifeline and then she was like what are you gonna be when you grow up and I'm like a school counselor like what (laughs) is there anything else and I truly did set out in my life to just become her. Like, are I, you a school counselor? I'm not a school counselor, but I've been a teacher for okay, that's a, yes, like I knew you worked in the schools over 15 years. And I thought I would go. I went to teaching just because I wanted to be a school counselor. And then I just fell in love with teaching. And then I ran into all kinds of healing along the way. So it was like, it my story was not, of course, what I thought. Where I thought I'd be like here's the trajectory of my perfect life. Mm -hmm. Instead, it was like, oh my gosh, I'm inching along and this is definitely the biography of an unhealed person along the way, you know, where it's like, oh, I'm a teacher now. I thought I would just go to school after that. But of course, I just hit emotional and spiritual wall after wall. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't regret any of it though. I really don't. And I loved teaching. And I'm also in school in a counseling program to be a counselor. But interestingly, I don't think I'll probably be a school counselor just because now it's different. They do all this testing and not as much counseling. Um, but mine was a school counselor because that's what they got to do back then. And she just she taught me that. She she wrote me probably 100 letters like over the years. Um, wow. And I would write her. And um, when I went to college, I kept failing. I just was emotionally broken in so many ways. And I would try to set myself up for – and I honestly didn't have a lot of like – traditional support that you have in college and that's okay but it it just is what it is so it's a lot of like stumbling but she would 
continue to support me. And I think in a way, even though even though we didn't talk about any programs or anything, in a way she kind of was like, I think of her looking back as like my sponsor because I, in a weird way, because I remember her telling me, my mom went to rehab at one point in there when I was in seventh grade. And what happened is that they had to call CPS and I was, they were, they told me that they were calling. Oh, they did? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I appreciate. Were um, you angry? No, I was glad. Really? I know that sounds crazy. I mean, but... I think it just goes to show probably where you were at and what you have been through. Maybe. I was glad. I know that sounds mean or crazy and not like we always hear. We always hear like the kid just wants, you know, just to be with their mom. And I did want to be with my mom, but I also, there was like a stepdad that I did not feel like good around and things were very scary. I mean, like the thing that led up right after CPS came, oh, the thing that led up to it was him saying like if you tell anybody about like basically I was talking back and I was like I I think that if, you, if I was really selfish and I would tell every I would tell the police where to buy the drugs because I know where and I, I didn't know at the time how offensive that is if you are buying drugs to say you're going to sell everybody out <laughs> <laughs> I mean you shouldn't you're in seventh grade <laughs> I didn't know about that and so it was not appreciated and he basically was like kind of threatened my life and 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 then my mom kind of backed him up in that space and I don't think any of them probably remember that because later I became an alcoholic and was like you really don't know what you're doing I took that personally until I became an alcoholic and Mm -hmm. then was like they probably don't even know that happened right I mean they probably really don't and and that was what caused that time CPS to be called because of that she went to rehab and that that counselor was like she just said and I remember it hurt my feelings she said don't get attached to your mom getting sober don't make it your thing and I was like what 12 13 and I was like what and I'm so glad she said that so then my dad ended up going through some stuff and he was here in Dallas I was in Kansas and I my mom goes to rehab the boyfriend and her breakup, really scary things are happening that involve like a semi-automatic rifle, him walking up with a scary rifle, I mean, just really, really scary stuff. And so I, I just was really, I don't know, traumatized at the time. And I remember like her going to rehab me, like going, okay, I'm not making it my thing. Stay with my grandma for a little bit. And then it was time for me to go to my dad's for the summer. Well, this time my stepmom was like, your dad is now a meth addict. And I was like, what? And did you have any idea that I knew he drank a lot? And so okay. I knew in my mind, since I understood now that my mom might be an alcoholic, whatever that is, it seemed like he might be too. Okay. But I didn't really know. But he was way more like stable. Mm-hmm. Like we weren't, he lived in the same house. Dinner, we, when I went there, we would like go grocery shopping on a schedule and eat dinner at the table and that kind of stuff. But at my mom's house, I was by myself a lot of the time and it was kind of crazy and my school was buying me like clothes and stuff sometimes mm-hmm. because they're like why don't you have shoes where you know this kind of stuff and I look back on that and that's just an alcoholism like that's just mm-hmm. what it is to be an alcoholism but anyways I went to I went to be down in Dallas and my stepmom she was just young she didn't know she thought the the idea that would get my dad sober would be that he really loved me and mm-hmm. so I should talk to him and I'm sure she thought that was what was best for everybody. Mm-hmm. If I talk to him, that's best for me too because 
all right, um, I, then I'll have my dad. And it looks like, what if I don't have him anymore? Right. And what actually happened, though, was, of course, like, he didn't respond well. She was like, well, if you tell him you're not coming back unless he stops doing meth, then I think that he'll... Oh, she put you in that yeah, situation? Yeah, she did. Yeah. Oh, wow. She was very young, I should add. Anyways, like, of course, it didn't go well. And so it ended up being that same time period, like that same summer, uh, it like everything really kind of blew up where he just... Did, he sent me home, um, and I then he didn't. He stopped calling after that, and then like I remember my birthday came and passed, and I was like, "Why doesn't anybody love me anymore?" And and then my got back, and my mom's back with that guy. She drinks again, and I was like, "What?" And it was just one of those like really dark times that happens because of alcoholism and addiction in families. And of course, in my family, everybody was like, "Did you talk to your mom? Did you tell her you're proud of her? She didn't drink for two weeks, you know." And I didn't take it on because of the school counselor. That's awesome. Like, I really didn't just because of that. I was sad. I was messed up. I was closed down. It was a lot of things, but I didn't take that on. What I did have was a heavy dose of self-righteousness that took me through (laughs) and later kind of has been something I've had to give up again and again to try to overcome it, for lack of Mm -hmm. a better phrase, Um, because that kept me above the water. Um, through all that it was like I'm not going to do that I'm going to do and fast forward many years and it took me a long time I had I was hospitalized at some point in that um and what were you hospitalized for I I tried to kill myself and then right after all of that I ended up I was like I'm done and I ended up being in the hospital for quite a while and I think they just didn't know where to put me and so Mm -hmm. then they decided I wasn't going to live with my mom anymore and so I I stayed with my grandparents and they signed up to be foster parents so mm-hmm. we put so that we could get all the benefits and stuff too you know which they should have and then later I ended up leaving and there and had lived with another another family that had also signed up to be like foster parents which was really great but I didn't they told me I should go to a program that's designed for teenagers a 12-step program designed for teenagers whose parents are alcoholics and I just did, I remember like I was now in a stable environment and I was thriving a lot more, but I didn't, I just didn't ever want to go and nobody mm-hmm. made me go. And that, I'm glad it is fine. I wasn't going to be into it. Years later, I ended up getting married. Um, I'm like trying to make all good decisions. Everything I did was very, don't be like that. Don't be like the way that it was when you were growing up. You're going to be like the school counselor. You're going to be just like her. And so I was very regimented about everything, but also at the end of the day, I'm an alcoholic too. And so like imagine somebody that wishes they were like that, but is a mess, you know? So you were drinking alcoholically? At the, no, I wasn't yet drinking alcoholically, but if page 52 actually of the big book, um, already definitely applied to me, the bedevilments. I think at that point I did drink early sometimes, but it also would be very religious sometimes. Like I was, um, I remember that from your story. I was a seeker. Like I yeah. knew, I was, I knew something in me was like hurting and I saw it and I would get deeply involved in religion. And I would like, if there was like a Bible club, I was like, what do you need me to do? Mm-hmm. And I remember like being involved in starting a Bible club. I think it's still there. Like I was really, really, really a seeker, but I was also really broken and nothing was working. I can relate to that a lot. Yes. I think a lot of us have that piece. And then that's something that Carl Jung said later to Bill W. Something about how like he didn't want to say it was in the letter or something and I'm gonna 
jack it up, but he didn't want to say it before because he was afraid it would affect his his reputation as a physician who was still like trying to practice and um, a, a psychiatrist who's still, still trying to practice, but he believed that alcoholics basically were kind of like missing the sense of unity for lack of a better way to describe it. And so then you're just seeking, seeking, seeking. Mm-hmm. And so it feels to me sometimes like it's the same seeking. Yeah. Um, and, and I did, I did get my hands on alcohol sometimes, but I was so like, don't be that person, you know? Mm-hmm. So I had a couple of rebellious periods, but not really. And then later, I, later for many years, it was an unpredictable friend. Like I do, I have to admit, like I have some stories where it's like, okay, that's not like alarming to you, you know, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that a lot of us have, but they were few and far in between for me. And then just like a lot of, um, I think especially alcoholic women, that stuff came on very gradually and I don't know if gradual is even the right word as much as that I experienced it as very gradually I don't think I will ever know how it actually came on Mm -hmm. I don't know right I will never know that that's outside of my ability to ever understand because it's a lying disease and I I, it's like I don't know I wasn't there I was there but I wasn't there right but the bedevilments were pointed out to me and I didn't have this read to me until I was working the steps later. But like, do these, I was asked, does this, does this apply to you? But this applied to me for always. We had to ask ourselves why we shouldn't apply to our human problems the same readiness to change our point of view. We were having trouble with personal relationships. Yes, we couldn't control our emotional natures. We were prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. Was not a basic solution of these bedevilments more important than whether we should see newsreels of lunar flight? Of course it was. And when that was read to me and I was asked, does this apply to you? It was like, yeah, that applies to me always and forever. So to back up just a tiny bit and I'll wrap up how I got into into a 12-step program for the family is um, I got married. I never really emotionally showed up for the marriage. He was a great husband, really solid person. It wasn't like something that looked like a mess on paper. Things looked good on paper. It looked like a success story on paper. Like, wow, look, she made it. But it wasn't. I could not show up. I remember like my therapist saying you're headed for divorce if you don't get therapy together and just even that idea of that much actual connection with another human like true connection I I remember like tearing up and being like I'm not coming back to therapy then and I had been working with her many years I just couldn't it couldn't handle it and that I eventually sabotaged that I mean not dramatically we just kind of went other directions because I I was I pushed him away and how long were you guys married we were just married like five years. We were together seven years and we did, it was just very like, we did the right, it was like, okay, um, let's date. Great. We're dating this much time is a healthy amount of time to date. Now we're engaged. Now this much time is a healthy amount of time to be engaged. And then I was going to school to be a teacher and he was going to school to be a doctor and it sounded so good. It sounds good. It sounds really good. Yeah. A teacher, a doctor. Yes. Like, it sounds yes. like all American, like success story. Yeah. And it really what was happening was we weren't fighting, but it was just... I wasn't showing up, you know, and I don't know whether he showed up or not. I think he probably would have, but I mean, it, it's neither here nor there, but, and it, I think he like lives a happy life and I wish him all beautiful things, but just, I did, I know that I was not a person who would show up, you know, with him and with others after mm-hmm. him um, and before him too. 
And so after that, I had somebody recommend to me, somebody that knew that I dated, that was like, why aren't you in a 12-step group for your family stuff? And I went finally, and that was maybe like 13, 14 years ago, something like that. And I worked the steps. I had sponsors. I got a lot out of it. I will say I didn't have a spiritual experience there until I went in as an alcoholic. And I don't the reason I mentioned that is that I don't think it was because I could be wrong. Like, again, like this kind of stuff, how could we ever really know? Right. But if I had to just throw money on a bet or something, I would not put it on what I think a lot of alcoholics would think, which is like, oh, that's you didn't have a spiritual experience because you were still drinking. That's possible. But I actually think that, again, with a lot of humility, I say this, that maybe I didn't have a spiritual experience, a freeing spiritual experience over time the way I did in AA because I didn't show up with desperation. Like I Mm. just wasn't willing yet to show up in that way. I was willing to come get tips and you get a lot of tips in, in the family program. Like, so it's kind of like you didn't have step one in a sense. Or two, three, four, five, six, seven. (laughs) (laughs) I did. I remember going, thinking like 11 was my step, you know, and I was like, look, I've got conscious contact and I meditate and I do all these things. But really, like, I wasn't digging in and looking at where I was separating myself from others. And that has been magical for me in since I did get desperate. And I feel like that could have happened in either program because really they're, they are, I, my, my sponsor in one of my programs would be like, they're not the same. And I'm not saying they're the same, but they do come from the same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, they do come from the same book. And, and the book is, in my opinion, ancient knowledge. And, and so I just feel like I could have had that. And I feel like I also see that in those rooms sometimes where it's like, oh, you can come here for a Band-Aid and stay a long time and even be sponsored and even think you worked the steps and get a lot of, a lot of Band-Aids and use the slogans and use the daily readers. But like there's something about a surrender into like the depth of the steps right. that is just a game changer, I think, in, in both programs. Um, and I guess I just had to get desperate enough. And the desperation didn't come until your drinking escalated. It didn't. It really didn't. And that's humbling for me. When I look back at like the times I want to judge alcoholics in my life, whether it's family members or people I've sponsored, you know, where, where you have that moment where you're like, no, I want you to stop, you know, and, and it can get tempting to, to want to turn that back on them, you know, mm-hmm. and then that time does remind me like it didn't occur to me to be more surrendered it didn't occur to me that I wasn't right it didn't I didn't know like I I just had to get miserable enough and I didn't need anyone to say that to me self-righteously which is probably the kind of thing I might have said at certain parts in my life I didn't need anyone to say well I guess you're just not ready I guess you're just not desperate enough you know Mm -hmm. because that I would have been like I know I'm desperate but I didn't really, you just, I, you, can you know, don't I, know until you don't. I think, yeah. Yeah. I, to, I think you don't know until you hit the wall that breaks you. Yeah. I mean, cause I definitely like have that kind of experience with the amount of times I tried to get sober and come into the rooms before. Like every single time I came in, I thought I was desperate. I thought I was done. Like I, you know, and yes. it's not until looking back that I realized that I wasn't because of how unwilling and closed minded I was. 
But you couldn't have told me that I wasn't at the time. Yeah, you couldn't have told me either. And and I was also working really hard at this stuff. I remember I was going to, to meetings. I was very spiritual. I was going to like 10-day meditation retreats and things like right up to before, very consistently did, did all kinds of transcendental meditation. I did all of the things, like anything that could help. And it did, I woke up early all the time and did journaling and all kinds of, of And did stuff. that stuff help? It helped. But here's what I think is my spiritual malady which I don't see a difference between the spiritual malady that I have, I personally have in either program. Right. That spiritual malady, at some point, of course, an allergy developed along with it. And I don't know if it was getting worse just because it was getting worse, the, the malady itself, the spiritual malady, but like I was trying to level up what I was doing. And, and at the time, like I'm looking successful in some other areas, like my job's cooler than it was before and I'm doing this and... But my home is, like, not good. It's getting, like, I'm just starting to cut people off. And I think I have really good reasons. And I would use therapy words to describe my reasons, you know. And and I, it also, and now, like, like, I would use the things I had been learning to, like, now cut people out. Yeah, you talked about detaching with a machete. Yes, yes. Yes. Can you, you, can you talk about that and what that what that means and what it's supposed what it's supposed to look like yeah yes um so you hear that in the rooms a lot i don't know if it's in the literature or not but it probably is there's a lot of literature in that in that one so i'm not saying there's not a place for the the times that i maybe did need to detach with a machete or tell someone else that they should be ashamed if they needed to detach with a machete but there's there's this concept of detaching with love Mm -hmm. and that means that i was able to emotionally unravel myself from you so that you can have the dignity to live your life and i can live my life with the focus on me and my own spiritual journey which is where it needs to be and hopefully that can be done kind of gracefully hopefully I don't even need to tell you I'm doing it you know Mm -hmm. hopefully you don't even notice yes yeah because why do we need to tell people that we're doing that right I'm thinking it's to be manipulative it's to like still be able to put them in their place and like tell them what they're doing wrong you know that's the only reason why I would need to tell them for me you know because I've wanted to do stuff like that yes. before. For me, I've I can I've experienced that, and then I've also experienced a fear that I won't take care of myself, and mm-hmm. then I'm like, there's something in me that's like, I must say this thing here and this thing here, and then everybody will follow the rules, and yeah. everything will go great once everyone's following the rules that I agreed to <laughs> for you. Yeah. And then so detaching with the machete is when you're just like, you get the efforts, <laughs> and you're just like it's that I'm just cutting you off. I'm just slicing through this and, and I'm, and it's over. And this isn't so much spiritual, but research into like legit research into like therapy stuff, detachment, like that, that cutoff gives you an automatic feeling of relief and anxiety goes down. Yeah. So what the research tells us is that anxiety goes down immediately. And so people think it works. They're like, Oh, I feel great. Kind of like having a drink, you know, if you're Mm -hmm. an alcoholic, it's like, yeah, that works. Well, look at the long term. Nope, it's not working. But then long term, same like anxiety in the whole family system just raises more if you're cutting off like that. So detaching with the machete doesn't work in the research. And it's also not how I want to do it in a spiritual program either. For sure. For sure. 
Now you were you were saying you were cutting people off. That's how we got into yeah. this. Did you get to a point where you feel it where you felt like you needed to cut off your your mom? Yeah, I've that and that is where the caveat is for me. There have been times that you know, to me, these programs are transcendent in nature. I feel really strongly about that, and it's not like like. My belief is that the way I interpret these programs is that I am here to walk with others who are willing to behold me and let me behold them and to find that discernment. Part of, and, that, and so my discernment might say, in a nice way, you need to do what might be what might look like detaching with a machete, even though I just kind of made it sound like a bad thing. And so there were times where I needed to have a blank space mm-hmm. with my mom. And I wasn't able, you know, I heard this quote and I think it was like Brene Brown or something that's like boundaries are the distance from which I can love both you and me, something Mm -hmm. like that. And um, at the same time, and there were times that I didn't know how to keep showing up to myself if I was like in that much touch with her. And I never really cut her out all the way. There was one time where I just said, I'm not going to talk to you for six months. And I know that is like, it. I mean, I did, but I was like, I... Uh, did you, you did it? You didn't talk I to did her for six it. months? I did do it. Was it yeah. hard? It was really hard. She was upset. My whole family, not my whole family, but parts of my family were upset. Um, this was in my 20s. I was still married. And I was just trying to be okay, honestly. And I, I noticed that I didn't, I couldn't spiritually and emotionally detach from her. Mm-hmm. I was powerless over this, like I just was. And I had done Al-Anon, but I don't remember if I had a sponsor at the time because there were times that I went sponsorless. Um, not that many, but but there were. I was a major sponsor, sponsor switcher in Al-Anon like all the time before. But like I definitely felt like I, I felt like I needed to. And mm-hmm. I... I have mixed feelings about it looking back on it because I really believe that one of the points of that program for me is how can I get some better tools here and have my own spiritual program so that I am bigger, so that I can keep people in my life and not feel like I need to make life smaller all of the time. Mm. And that's what that pro- – and I remember what later, like I did do the six-month thing at some point. It was it was quite a while ago. And then and – then, that's not something I think I would do today, though. And I'm not saying that's that wrong if somebody else needs to do that. Right. Because um, I think that's really important. I, A lot of people, I think, who grew up in addiction are really traumatized people. And yeah. you hear in the rooms, like, I think we say things that are meant to be helpful, you know, that can get in. And I'm not saying they're wrong to be said. Any of this is no mm-hmm. right or wrong in my head on any of this. But like, oh, you think you're terminally unique, things like that. There's some truth to some things like that, in my opinion. And that's what makes this a spiritual program is it's like, yeah, you are screwed. Like, you like there's an intuitive knowing that like, no, I know I'm screwed. Like, I. Yeah, especially like as a child. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so. Because you, you don't choose the family you're born into or your parents. You yeah. Know? Well, and I just think like you have to. My experience for myself has been that I've had to listen to my own higher power, like from within, like, what do I need it? How I, the purpose of a sponsor for me has been, and the other people in the program more like, how can you help keep guiding me back to the steps and all the solutions here? So that are different parts of the solution so that I can listen to that voice Mm -hmm. because 
I can't make you the voice. Um, this is just my experience because there are there's some traumas that need to be walked through at the pace that only a person's like inner being, higher power, whatever I think can define. And another person doesn't always know. And even oh for sure. And it, but that's I feel like that's an easy one to miss. Well, so. One of the things that I do like about or what I've noticed about interviewing family members as much as I have is you all have this like same respect for each other without knowing each other in common where you're not going to tell somebody else what to do with their relationship with their loved one. Mm-hmm. Before I even got into this like interviewing process and stuff, I just always assumed the thing that you do is you cut them off, right? Like cut them off and you guys don't always do that. I know. And I love that. I Mm -hmm. love that. I mean, with a family member, it's a little like easier to, to hear that. But then even when I'm sponsoring women in or friends with women in, in my 12 step group for people (laughs) suffering from alcoholism, recovered from alcoholism, I, um, noticed that like, you don't always, of course, get that message. Right. (laughs) You know, it's like, there can be this thing in the culture that's like, well, you got to go. And so watching watching those women sometimes join um the like groups for family members and be like oh wait no I don't have to do that I get to just same same thing I've been learning this whole time is to listen to my higher power and if and I don't have to listen to all these people I can listen to like that that from however I seek Mm -hmm. and and it may it may not be just go it's like and that's very freeing because it makes people I think less afraid to go into the rooms because Mm -hmm. then you're like oh, no one's going to tell you what to do and they're going to love you through whatever you choose. And that's yeah. beautiful. That's soft and it is. Warm. It is um, It is very beautiful and very attractive about about the program for sure. Yes. Um, I have a lot of respect for, for that, it for how true. you guys give each other that space. It's really, really cool. I do have a question though. Why six months? Like why did you decide I'm not going to talk to you for six months? Honestly, why was that the time frame? The honest truth is nothing special. Um, I honestly had a friend, and it's not a friend who's even in the program, but a very spiritual friend and a friend who knows me very well that just kind of sat me down. She kind of did a little intervention with me. And my mom had been having really disruptive things, like a sniper team had to come in and surround her house. Like that that happened. Oh, wow. Because of like what happened between her and her boyfriend at the time. And, and she, her alcoholism was just advancing. Well, alcoholism, as I saw it. It's not for me to define her disease or her or lack of, of course. But she, my friend was like, like I was basically, I would crumble. Like I was an adult and I was not okay in some of my own ways. And I, but then I would, my mom would go through this stuff and there was such a deep underlying enmeshment between us that was like just always below the surface that when her life changed, I didn't even see that I was crumbling every single time. And so my friend was like, what if you just took six months off and then you're not doing this? And I can't explain it, but something it, I, something in me was like, do what she says. This is one of those like universe things that you're mm-hmm. supposed to hear this. And it's controversial inside my own head, you know, to this day. But I overall have a steady feeling about it. I mean, it's in the past, so it is what it is. But I, I overall have a sense of calm certainty that like I listened right then and I look back and I do think I gained some things out of that in- including just like setting some new 
patterns in place in my family. And what's interesting is I was able then later, and I was honest with her. I was, and it was my first time to be honest with her was around that time. I didn't, when I didn't even live with her anymore, I'd be like, it's okay. I blah, 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 spiritual things. And I would just always candy coated all of it. I always say I had a, a really positive attitude about really negative presupposition. So like, I just thought nobody was probably going to like love me or keep me, even though there's a lot of evidence to the contrary, but yet I had a really like positive spiritual spin on it. So it was kind of like a spiritual positive spin on what's not even probably true, you know, like if that makes any sense. Are you a loved one of an alcoholic? Our family support group serves as a community for friends, loved ones, and family members of alcoholics to learn about alcoholism, understand how to help an alcoholic, and experience an improved quality of life, regardless of the alcoholic's recovery. We have weekly support meetings that meet virtually and in person, as well as a monthly speaker meeting. To find out more about our family support group, visit magdalenhouse.org family. You mentioned earlier, and I did want to ask you about this too, you know, whenever your dad quit calling and your mom relapsed and all that stuff, you were like, oh, cool, like nobody loves me anymore. And like, that's kind of like your thinking, I guess, because that's like a powerful thing to say and to believe. And we kind of just glanced over it. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you actually brought that back up. Yeah, because I guess what I'm... What I'm thinking of is I'm a mom and the biggest victim of my alcoholism was my daughter, you know, and like you said, trauma happened, obviously. Um, how can it not? You know, right. I was there one day, I wasn't one the next day and, you know, like everything you were describing about your childhood, about like, you know, school getting involved in CPS calling, like that, like that happened with, with my daughter. And so... I can imagine that's probably kind of like how maybe how she felt like why doesn't my mommy love me anymore you know like she couldn't get a hold of me like all these things so as a as a child I guess can you just elaborate more on on that and like how that felt and then like when were you able to recognize that oh wait a minute I am loved do you know what I'm asking yeah I know exactly where okay I think, all right cool well, yeah I think we'll I go do. we'll go with it the truth is that I think this is where you're kind of like your adult self and then you're less, you know, we've got like our, our attachment systems come online, like our like less healed self too, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe the ego, I don't know what, what we want to call it, but like I did, I still to this day, like that's just gonna, I think that's part of healing that's just going to keep happening. And it speaks to me to why I stay in these two programs really involved in both of them and I personally keep a sponsor in both of them not that that's the way to do it or that there's a right or wrong way but like I still to this day will realize like I'll wake up kind of and be like oh my gosh I'm doing it like I just assumed that that this person didn't want me in their life or this like it's it's in my head but I don't see that in like a pity party depressing way. I just think that's the nature of sometimes what gets programmed in mm-hmm. just by life. And then what's been really beautiful for me has been, what, honestly, the way I lived before 
as a child, like I just closed down is, is the truth. And I remember I gained a ton of weight and I just like, I think I just found ways to kind of like deal with my stuff mm-hmm. and just like to feel differently. And mostly it was shut down. And then, and then actually once I started joining a program, I started experiencing some of my emotions for the first time. And interestingly, it was after that, that alcoholism like did kind of develop. Like I wonder if feelings came out, I don't know. But there has been nothing in my life that has helped heal that. Well, that's not true. There haven't been many things in my life mm. that have helped heal that, like just the simple fact of showing up to a sponsor who lets me be seen by them as I am in my brokenness, you know, mm-hmm. and stays. Like, mm-hmm. that's it. There's so much more too, you know, but like that's the thing that makes me cry. Like, like it just does. Like there's just something about being like, okay, here's how messed up I am. Oh, here it is. And and being able to say like, I'm making up a story right now that you secretly wish I would go somewhere else, you know? And, and it doesn't even matter the answer. It just matters that like I showed up as me that day because when you grow up in addiction, I think you, you're – most adaptive path is to not show up as you it's mm. to show up as literally just amicable just like no everything's great oh yeah I'm not affected by that everything's good it's good it's to me it's another to me like that's what the book is saying too it's saying like that's step five in a way you're not in a way it's step five that's like you're being beheld by somebody and it's not just after you do step four, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, or just with your nightly or whatever. It's the, it's like, I'm letting you see me and now we're in relationship. And so stuff's going to start coming up. And for me, it was always coming up in my romantic relationships. I can relate. Yeah. Yeah. That's where it's really hard. Yeah. And truth, cause our attachment system, I think comes like way on board, but truth be told, like that, the, the softest way for me has been in sponsorship and like just getting to be seen and be the word that I was about to say was be kept and that was like totally a child moment for me I think that's like that's like the little kids being like oh my gosh I said that and you kept me you know and because that was what was in my head was that just don't don't be you because you this isn't gonna last everything's about to fall apart and and how beautiful is that though that you could give that to other women it's so beautiful and like what's really beautiful to me what really rocked my world was sponsoring it well first of all was realizing I was an alcoholic I remember praying like as I saw my mom's alcoholism progressing as I see it I remember praying to I didn't even know what like at the time my faith was really like whatever and I was like okay um how how, I was just like afraid I was like she's I'm gonna be barely talking to her she's going to die what am I like I'm gonna regret this forever and just not from a selfish perspective I just wanted to not have regrets Mm -hmm. and that's fair that'll get you in the door and so I was like I need to double down and go like at the time I was like going to meetings in in Al and I'm gonna go late and and leave early and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that either we do what we do at the time but I dug in I can't remember where I was going with that I probably like dissociated when I thought about this no uh well we were talking about um how now you get to do that for other women yeah but when I realized I was an alcoholic then I knew, oh, I know what's going on. When I realized I was an alcoholic, it was literally the first time I deeply believed she didn't pick this. Mm. She did not pick this. She didn't, and what that meant wasn't that she not picked it. What she, 
didn't value this over me. Right. That's not true. I knew that on an intellectual level before because of the time I had spent. By then, I had spent a good decade mm-hmm. doing the program. You know, I would call it halfway looking back but at the time I didn't yeah and all my friends knew I was in the program like I talked about it I'd be I just I did a lot of it without the steps I did the steps but I was like oh I did the steps check they're done you know yeah and I don't remember a lot about them and from from that from that time period but then when I started working with alcoholic women mind blown like mind blown when I got to I remember thinking moms aren't gonna want to work with me I'm not a mom and and then but then in Alcoholics Anonymous they'll just be like who will help me who's next to me and if I happen to be the one next to them then they might have picked me and or like showing up and chairing meetings stuff and Mm -hmm. people will ask you to sponsor them and so I'm getting to sponsor people and which you do way less in Al-Anon um for some reason I don't know why but I remember the first time that I sponsored this this woman and she got to the part she was doing her fourth step and she got to the part about her kids and she couldn't go on and she didn't know why she was so stuck and it was so like I'm like gonna cry (laughs) no this makes me I cried I cried I don't know if I will cry right now but like she got to the part where she was trying to write about her kids and she couldn't keep going and she was just like ashamed of herself that she couldn't do it and so we we I remember being like my ego got involved and I was kind of proud of myself and it was and and, but then I got humbled really fast Mm -hmm. because I was like well you know we're gonna go to the steps we're doing the steps we're just gonna I'll show up I'll just sit here and you'll do this you can do this if I'm there I think like just having another person will help which it does and it did Mm -hmm. and I realized that she just was that torn up over hurting her her children and losing her children and now I might cry like her letting me behold her you know in that mm-hmm. and we talked about it that day because like we both knew that we were experiencing something or at least I I knew and I feel like she knew too like obviously she was having her experience too and I was just like I can't tell you how impactful you letting me watch you struggle through this has been for me too, and I didn't expect this. I thought I was just gonna be of service and this is my AA program. But her letting me watch her struggle through that made me see my mom, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm so honored, like if an alcoholic woman, especially who's been, who's a mom, lets me see their like heartbreak over their kids, it's just, it's I mean, it is. That's the most heartbreaking, you know? Their hearts are broken. Mm-hmm. And I still struggle to remember that with my mom in the moment. Remember whenever you said at Breakfast Club, you know, I kept wondering, like, why like, my mom picked this thing over me. And then once I got to AA or whatever, I realized that, like, my mom didn't pick this. Like, my mom got picked. She got picked. And that was so powerful for for me to hear because it is it's it's the truth and you know like I'm so grateful that I get to be recovered and I get to be sober because not everyone gets this thing Mm -hmm. I wish that everyone did but it's good for even like somebody like me to be reminded and to see that and so it's like 
I'm just like thinking of like how beautiful like this whole ripple effect is and how everything comes full circle and just now being able to like see you also see your mom in a different light Mm -hmm. and be able to show up differently for her because I mean we'll ask this question too but you know the way how you're able to show up for your mom today is pretty cool you know like she would agree but (laughs) (laughs) well I you know like you talked about you know you'll call her and like there was like some homelessness going on and you're able to like do you just can you talk about about that how you're able to like show up for her today like despite what's going on because has she ever found recovery no she's gotten both of my parents have had like stents short short stents Mm -hmm. and I don't think they've done like the steps or anything and one one side to that with my dad actually is that today my dad drinks alcohol and I'm able to stay out of it Mm -hmm. his his life is easier to watch um I will give that I will say that but it would be easy for me without the program to be like don't you know you have a de- like like how can you say you had a deadly disease and now it's gone like that doesn't make sense like oh I I get that though <laughs> right like I, I've I my done, stepdad's that way so I've done stuff like that too mm-hmm. and then because of these programs when he started drinking alcohol again and I was able to just give him dignity like mm-hmm. I really was it just wasn't it just wasn't it I mean I had a couple issues with it but like the program really just kind of made it clear for me like well that's you don't know you know mm-hmm. with my mom yeah it's this there's been quite an escalation you know um of her situations and a volatility to her situation where there have been a couple times that she that she has not had a place to live and I remember as a child my big fear was that that I would be the one to send her like out living like on the streets or in her car or something and that's exactly what happened and these programs held me through it I had people to call and so I wasn't alone and I was able this time to like I remember going to meetings I remember being at I had to send her out this sounds so like I'm a horrible daughter but there was a circumstance that made this like why it had to be this way I remember sending her out it was Christmas Eve I think I was like my first year sober and I think it was I'm pretty sure it was it was like I was like six months sober and then she's now doesn't have a place to live and she's to me seeming clearly like super super drunk out there and and I spent Christmas at an AA meeting and that's what I wanted to do you know like it felt safe to me and I could say that there and I could say that at my other meetings too my other program too and because of that all that support and then working the steps like that gives me fears so I have a tool for that that I learned in the big book um I will say my program in like the family program went to a new level when I made the big book my book like I hear that it's a thing Mm -hmm. and I think it's easy to miss because it's a I don't know why it's easy to miss, but I think it's easy to miss. Mm-hmm. Well, it happens in, in both programs. It's easy to miss the book and the programs for some reason. Weird, um, huh? It is weird. Yeah. I know. Yeah. And, and maybe not everybody needs it the same, you know? And I'm sure that's true. So I don't know. That's that's the getting all theoretical. Then later, again, she it happened again. And this time, um, she had posted things like on Facebook that made me worry she was suicidal and uh, had always been my fear as a kid. And... I just like, I had definitely hit a wall there, 
and it was like a very both and thing because of the support I received and the steps and like using for example the the fear what I like call the fear tool what people call the fear tool in the big book like okay what's the fear okay the fear is that she's living like in her car right now and like it's old like is it gonna last and is she just is her phone still on and da 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 and what's gonna happen and was she does she need me right now and okay what's the real fear in there the fear is that like I screwed up like the same fear mm. I always had that I'm like a bad daughter that I should have done more and I'm a bad person and like all this kind of old stuff that we mm-hmm. always deal with and then okay well what would self-reliance do I'm just straight from the book and okay well self-reliance like I can think about that I know what my self-reliance would do self-reliance would like probably call and check on her all the time or cut her off completely I would do one of the two if I'm in self-reliance like over function or or get out um and then be super sad or just try not to think about it la 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 la. and what would god reliance look like I didn't use like the god word just like higher self whatever for me that would be like focusing on myself and my own program and being there for her in a healthy way and so what that looks like is where are you staying how is it how are not like not like where are you staying but like what did you what cool things did you notice like you live in a truck stop right okay so what what do you like there did you meet anybody new and it became about that for the most part there are also walls that were hit by me for sure and, but that's how I want to show up. And I remember my sponsor in that program saying something to me where I was like, I remember marveling about this and being like, this is crazy. Like, I, I remember like saying something to my mom about the sunset or something. Or did you notice or what did you asking you something about what the sunset is like or something like that. And, and my sponsor saying like, well, and the next step will be you don't even need to make sure she notices anything. Wow. Yeah. And she's really honed her ability to love people exactly as they are and where they are, which is why my heart like follows her heart around with the notebook, you know, both of my sponsors. That's given me more freedom. And it's on my heart right now, honestly, because I noticed that like at each time there's a progression, I get in some self each time. And then I'm like, my stuff's stirred up. I'm doing my old things a little bit more, you know? And then it's like, okay, okay, like, I, yes, I need the boundaries. Yes, for sure. But also, like, how can I, like, I keep asking the question and being supported by both sponsors in both programs. How can I love her where she is? She may not think that's love at all. I don't really know. She lives in, I believe she lives in an alcoholic world. And right. we don't know what it looks like from within. Sometimes what I do to take care of myself looks like abandonment to her. I'm certain right. of that. Absolutely. Yeah. So this might be getting too deep, but why not? Is there any part of you that almost has like some sort of like survivor's guilt? Like why did I get this thing and why can't she? Yes. I, I don't know if it's survivor's guilt as much. I think I, I – have, I have, obviously, I'd have to say I've had some kind of underlying survivor's guilt that I wasn't in touch with because I will say, like, that second time that she was – like, didn't have a home and that I was really – like, it was – I remember it was my birthday and, and she was just like, I'm in a bad place, I'm in a bad place. And something – I knew she knew it was my birthday and that she wouldn't – 
be like that if she wasn't in a really scary dark place like a new level and I was like oh great okay it's happening oh my gosh and at that time I was in my first semester of my counseling program that I'm in my graduate counseling program and it was not the easiest one to get into and I worked so hard to get into this thing and was like amazed that they let me in because my my undergraduate transcript is like clearly the transcript of an unhealed human (laughs) it's like well she yeah that adds up to a degree somehow who knew you know wow we never imagined and there I am I'm ready to go and finally be a therapist a counselor like I'd always wanted to do since I was 10 and like I'm doing it I remember like this part of some deep pull in me was like this is gonna sound really dark some deep pull with me was like no die with her like it sounds so dark but it was like something deep and dark inside Mm -hmm. I had done a lot of work up until this point like a lot of therapy a lot of like steps by now and there I was and I remember I had this big paper due and I'm not like making excuses for what happened or anything it's just this was the path I had this big paper due and I I couldn't do it I took time off work to try to do it and I sat there and I couldn't do it and I had to drop that class and then I ended up getting a C in the next class which is a failing in the program oh wow Mm -hmm. and I've I will say like that just kind of caused me to like double down on my programs honestly and make I had made some other bad decisions at the time only bad in the context of I did too much that was shaking everything up um, at the same time so it's I learned some things in that too but I do think that was survivor's guilt manifested I remember thinking like for her to know I love her I'd have to sink all the way with her and then she still won't know oh my god that's so powerful yeah because it's so true it's so true yeah it's like there's nothing that I wanted her to know I loved her and there's just nothing but yet on some level she seems to know that I don't know but then not like well so I I don't want to like keep you hostage here I know we've been talking for a little while but there is something that another thing that you said at breakfast club that like really stood out to me that I think is important to talk about is how you wanted people to see your mom not just as like this alcoholic but the way that you saw her and the reason why I think that is so powerful is for mothers maybe who are in active alcoholism or maybe still have this shame to know I don't know why I'm so oh my god to know how their children see them can you just talk about that yeah it's beautiful that it's we humble when we're humbled like that it brings our emotions Mm -hmm. I think yeah I honestly like part of that I feel from teacher stuff too it was so critical for me that people could love my mom you know because I loved her and I mean I love her but like mm-hmm. as a kid right your heart's broken and they're like your person you know and I really just like every kid I really 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 wanted people I knew that people felt sorry for me and I knew that people wanted to help me and I'm forever grateful for that, that they helped me because they, I did get a lot of like help, mm-hmm. but it always hurt my heart as a child and I would never have admitted it when well-meaning people would say things about my mom, you know, it, it just, I did like as a kid, I think we have 
we need we just we we see their truth too you know like who they are underneath the the illness kind of thing yeah like that love is the actual real reality i think you know i heard someone say that about even romance of like oh it's just the beginning you're you know but maybe that's when then then i've heard someone say well maybe that's when you see people clearly and then the rest of it is your unseen you're starting to see them unclearly makes the whole time yeah it makes sense to me too and Mm -hmm. I don't know like I feel like that is the truth of seeing you know and I know there are all these layers of seeing what we want to see and all that stuff too it's complex humaning Mm -hmm. but the program that program both programs have helped me to kind of hold that space and I think that's something that definitely comes across in you is that your ability to like hold space and see people and love them where they are and I know that's something that you said that like you admire about your your sponsor but like I really see that in you oh thank you that feels really good to hear that yeah um, my ego wants to be like no here all the ways that's not true <laughs> I have a list right here <laughs> let me pull it out well um, before I ask you the final question or our questions is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure we talk about yeah let me think about that well okay yeah the parts that aren't so much my story but like the solution part I guess things I wish that (laughs) it's kind of ironic um when you wish people knew things but then you're in a program where you're trying to focus on yourself and your own (laughs) spiritual path but it just how it helpful it has been for me to work the steps with desperation how easy it can be to if you don't have the disease of alcoholism it can be really easy I think to think by coming into the rooms that you've sat all the way down it can be very deceiving and and we think that we've got the same spiritual solution without really really digging into the steps and getting a sponsor that you're willing to keep showing up for and that has been I missed that for a long time and I hear about people being in the rooms and spending a lot of hours in the rooms and missing some of that like the real solution you're getting some relief but you know you hear about that in the program for people with alcoholism that like well you can get here and you can get the the relief of a meeting but you're here for a solution and the solution Mm. is in the book I really believe that's still true in both programs. That's my experience, at least. And not to say it's the only solution. I, I, I see that other people are working the, these programs in ways that are different from mine, and they appear to work really well. Right. Um, and I honor all of that. But I do just want to say how critical it has been for me personally to lean into the book. And I don't always have to even be sponsored by people who are as much on, you know, like, oh, I have to go and read this part exactly 100% every single day. They may not need to do it that way. And I'm okay with that today. I've noticed my program's fine if I, it feels, still feels really good to me. Um, but if, just if I'm following my heart and my discernment, but I have to, like, I mm-hmm. have to. And if I stop doing it, then, like, something needs to change. Like, I need to make a big shift somewhere so that I'll, like, do it because that's the only thing that has help me want to live on earth regardless of what my disease is yeah well so I want to ask you can you read the book that you read it when you first came into Al-Anon versus how you read it now oh yeah I do you know what I was talking about okay I think I opened it up to a random point when I did that and Mm -hmm. I don't remember which random point oh here's good I think there's a solution it's a good place to open it to wait actually no 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 
where is selfishness and self-centeredness? That Somewhere between 60 to 63. That's a good one, though, for what you're about to do. Okay, yeah. So I, it's easy to read the book without reading the book, too. <laughs> and so when I would read this in Al-Anon, I did read it, um, the first 164. And so then if somebody was like, have you done the steps out of the book? I was like, yeah, I did the steps out of the book. It didn't work. I don't know why. You know, I'm still, here I am. But here's how I, I just thought of it as like I was reading this to learn about them. Mm-hmm. I really did. I really I don't know how I thought that. It baffles me because what a missed opportunity. And so I read it like I'm on page 62. Selfishness, self-centeredness. That we think is the root of their troubles. It should be the root of our troubles. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, and self-seeking. Those alcoholics step on the toes of their fellows like me and they retaliate which i had to do because they caused my life to have problems sometimes they hurt me when i did not provoke them and they made decisions based on self which placed them in a position to be hurt yep they are pretty jacked up (laughs) and the thing is like whatever your program is this this is like a solution for spiritual healing period Mm -hmm. so now can you read your favorite or one of the favorite parts of the book as what it's actually saying yeah but I feel like I feel like it might be a disappointment because I feel like that the parts of the book that I that help me the most are just like it's not a disappointment because I ask this with everybody and so it's always like cool and 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 you can pick anything out of the book and it's cool and beautiful so no that's true no 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 actually I do have I do I was gonna say like this because what I'm going to every day of course is like four through 11 every day or three through 11 every well two through 11 every day you know and and just kind of like reading the page uh, 86 to 88 but hold on the reason I'm reading this is that whenever I did finally do the steps with desperation I thought I was doing them in Al-Anon and I got really one might say lucky or guided to choose the sponsor who turned out to be in in AA as well and I had no idea I was an alcoholic like it never occurred to me once um it hid very well and at this point I would no longer I would be I was one of those people who was like yeah I come to meetings and I take I take what I like and leave the rest which is something they say in those meetings which is important I'm totally like think that's great Having said that, I love to take spiritual things and like my ego will take a spiritual thing and use it against spiritually growing because it sounds good. You know? Oh yeah, like using the big book as a weapon and manipulating it. Yeah, for yes. sure. And so I was like, yeah, I take what I like and leave the rest and I don't do the spiritual parts. And so I am done with that. And because my feelings were hurt because my faith was low and I'm like, I had so much faith and now it's like gone and it, so what? And and so I was like, I won't do any of the prayers and stuff. And um, she said that she, and I had talked several sponsors into this for a while. And then I got to her and I did ask whatever was out there. I was like, show me, make someone shiny. And it made her shiny to me. And um, I say it, cause that's how I experienced this. I was like that thing that like seemed to be telling me stuff for a while inside my head made this girl shiny mm-hmm. and so I was like okay this shiny person I'm gonna I'm gonna go to her and and she said she wouldn't work with she wouldn't keep working with me and by then I was like getting attached to the idea of like not 
wanting to be dead every day, you know, which is where I was. And she said, you need to actually do the prayers. And I was like, but I don't believe them. And she's like, well, then pray to nothing. And I was like, fine. And then I would pray to like Santa Claus and the tooth fairy and unicorns. And I would do all this really sarcastic stuff. And she just rolled with it. Really? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yes. And she just like, kind of laughed at me but in a loving way and and just kind of was like okay what did uh what did the voices say to you did they say anything (laughs) I was like yeah I talked to the voices because she would just say did you pray about it and I would roll my eyes in the back of my head and and then I'd be like sure I asked the voices if they think there's anything I should do and she goes like well did the voices say anything back and be all cute about it and I was just like oh and then I'd check again and I'd be like actually they did say something bad. <laughs> the unicorns did say something and that's not how my spiritual life has is today at all but this is very true for me when I did the things in the book I just did the things in the book she would say here's what the book says now do that and I just did it I had an experience of spirituality and that's what my my sponsor in one program says the god of my experience um, and I love that because that's what I got from doing this. I did things and then I got this. And so anyways, on page 28, we in turn sought the same escape with all the desperation of drowning men. What seemed at first a flimsy reed, and I, not even a flimsy reed, has proved to be the loving and powerful hand of God. A new life has been given us, or if you prefer, a design for living that really works. And I love that, that because that was true for me. And you could not have convinced me that that was going to happen for me. Like, I just was so mm-hmm. disbelieving. Just so I knew there was something that had guided me to her and I was willing to honor that. But that was as far as I was like, I was just kind of like, nope, nope, I'm in too deep already. I want to go back, go back. And that's what I had always done with sponsors for the most part is like, before I really, really let anybody see me. And really, you can't work the steps and not let some right. people see you. you yeah, didn't you're going to be it. seen. Yeah. yeah. If you didn't get seen, you didn't do it, right? And and I, I still have to continue to be seen. Still, yes, mm-hmm. yes. All that yucky stuff. The yucky stuff. And the worst stuff, like the, that day-to-day stuff, that's the stuff that I have to make sure I'm being seen on. Is like, Absolutely. yep, I'm still obsessed over that stupid thing. Like, it came back again. That's so ridiculous. Yep, that's me, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The big stuff from childhood is easier because it's like, look what happened to me. Right. You know? Yeah. I, yeah. And, but how freeing. How freeing. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. My final question for you, and this has been absolutely wonderful. Me too. Thank you. Is what would you want to say for either a child or an adult oh. child or anybody who is either in your shoes but hasn't found yeah. recovery yet? Um, what would you want to say to them? Oh, I just got goosebumps. I would want to say what my sponsor always calls me like darling she says stuff like that these terms of endearment and I would want to use a term of endearment and I would want to say it is not your fault there's nothing you could have done nobody didn't pick you even though it seems like it and then after that like there's gonna be some work you have to do mm-hmm. you got affected and that's okay and maybe there are a lot of gifts in that too. And for me, there have been. And maybe the parts of you that seem broken, where you find your healing is 
gonna give you gifts that you never would have gotten if you weren't like quote unquote like broken Mm -hmm. in the first place and it's all grace and just keep letting go into the flow of the river because it's this is the healing is the path like it's inevitable you know it really is it's self to not heal Mm. and it's just it's here for us dig in try to let go and be able to let people see you and accept help and receive and and then be of service to others beautiful well everyone if you were as moved as i was which hopefully you were um again please leave us a review so we can get this message of hope out to the people who need to hear it and please again let us know what your takeaways were upload it to the end up your instagram story um share it with somebody that you think it would be helpful to you i'm so appreciative to everybody who is who is listening in and i'm just so grateful for all of you and for you Faye. thank you so thank you so much for being here y'all have a wonderful day bye podcast is from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a nonprofit organization located in Dallas, Texas, and we provide comprehensive recovery services to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. You can learn more and support our mission at magdalenehouse.org.